Good evening and welcome to On the Fable. I'm Dorothy and I'm here with a wonderful group of Christian women to discuss the issues of the day. Much like we did in the old days around the kitchen table when the kids were in school. The call-in number is 646-595-4784 if you want to call in with a question or a prayer request. Press 1 to raise your hand in the queue. Our contact email is onthetablebc at hotmail.com. Now, we may not all agree all of the time, but isn't that half fun? Different perspectives coming from different experiences and learning from each other? Pull up a chair and join us on this most excellent adventure in the reality of Christianity. Let's just see what's on the table tonight. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to On the Table. We're going to be interviewing Scott LaPierre on his book, Enduring Trials God's Way. Uh, And the girls are not here, so it's just me and Scott right now. Hi, Scott. Welcome to the program. Hi, Dorothy. Yeah, good to be back. Good to hear from you. So, how are you doing? So, I am doing well. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, we're doing well. Did you know we had our seventh child a few months ago? I can't remember the last time we talked. Seven, that's completeness, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll see if God has more for us or um, if we end up, yeah, my, maybe we'll have more, so we'll see. Seven children. Yeah, that, that would keep mm-hmm. you busy. Yeah. And you homeschool, right? Or your wife homeschools? Yeah, she homeschools. Yeah, I do some. Like today, I did some reading with my my son. But yeah, she would definitely get the credit for that. I lead uh, most. I lead the family Bible studies typically. She does most of the schooling. But if there's a uh, trouble with math or something, then my wife's not as comfortable. She'll send the kids down to my office because we live near the church, and then I'll usually do some math with them. Yeah, it's pretty much a something that she does so really appreciate her effort that's that's a lot of work i don't know if people understand how much work that really is because you've got to teach on all the different levels and and you've got to explain it you know so they can understand it and on top of that you've got to be able to understand it so you've got to do your own research so it's a great deal of work yeah yeah you kind of hope as your kids get older that they can start learning more independently but at these early ages, they're not very uh, self-sufficient, and so it does take a lot of, a lot of involvement from uh, Katie. A lot of preparation. Yeah. Like doing Bible studies, huh? <laughs> Teaching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't know if the other women are coming. 
you know, I try and set these up so far in advance so people don't have an excuse, but even that doesn't work, evidently. But uh, Pam did tell me she's changing um, Internet providers, so she may be late. She told me that. So. Okay. Okay. But I do want to I loved this book. I really like this book because so many of us, when we're going through these trials, it's hard to see it Father's way. Because, you know, you're you're in it, and if, and if it's physical, it's like you're, you know, even the hair on my toes hurts. You know, how mm-hmm. is this ever going to be a good thing, you know? And how am I supposed to be joyful about it? So your book helped a great deal. Oh, and, thank God. Uh, that I me. Thanks for sharing that. Um, but it is. It's difficult to see because we've all read the scriptures that say, well, it's counted all joy. And you're going, are you serious? You know, right. joy, how in tarnation is it supposed to be joyful? And and you just laid it out so well. So um, why well, don't you do an me. overview, give the, the audience an overview, and then we can go okay, into well, more detail. Okay, so first, just the, I think most people have asked about trials. The first verses that come to mind are the ones that you mentioned James 1, 2 to 4, that we're counted all joy as we fall into various trials. And that's obviously very contradictory. You know, joy is the opposite of what you feel or experience during trials. In fact, it seems trials suck our joy away. And so it's a very uh, challenging verse and can be somewhat confusing. And I, I think the important word is count or reckon or almost consider because it doesn't say to feel joy. And I think that's where some of the confusion can creep in because if the Bible said, because you can read that, you know, it says count it all joy. And you say, well, that doesn't make sense. I don't, I don't, joy is not what's going on in my life right now, but the Bible doesn't say to feel joy. It says to count it all joy. You have to consider it joy because of what God is producing through the trials and how he's using them in your life. And so it actually makes a lot of sense. If, if the Bible said feel joy, then you could say that it didn't make sense. And so then the question is, well, how exactly are you supposed to count these trials as joy? And you have to consider what the good that God wants to do in your life through them. I mean, there's really no getting around the maturity the trials produce. Um, it's a theme. I always tell my church that when you want to know what God really wants you to get, he repeats himself. You know, the Bible doesn't use highlighting or italics. I mean, I know we have italics in some translations, but that's not, that's man's emphasis, not God's. And so God doesn't use highlighting or capitalization. And so when God wants to make sure we don't miss something, he repeats it. And you can't miss because of the repetitiveness of it. Reality that God expects us to count it all joy. When we experience trials, it's in James, it's in Peter. And it's so clear. And the reason we're expected to count all joy as the, as we think about, you know, the maturity and it's just a very challenging reality that trials is what trials is what God uses to mature us. We wish, we probably wish it wasn't that way. I mean, it'd be great if we could be matured through fellowship or through blessing or through, and I, and there's some amount of growth that can take place through those other 
disciplines or areas of the Christian life, Bible reading and prayer and so forth and fellowship. <clears throat> but primarily, trials are the tools that God, the instrument that God uses to grow us. And then there's also the kind of Romans 8.28 aspect that God is going to do something good through the trial for himself, to bring himself glory, to um, promote his kingdom. As we reflect on that and trust those promises, that's how we can, um, you know, count it all joy. And so the book begins with a discussion of really the need to be prepared for trials because I think you're either in a trial or you're heading toward one. I mean, that's just life on the side of heaven. There's no way around it. And so if you're not in a trial right at this moment, then you should be preparing for one because you're going to experience one. And so the book begins that way with that discussion of the importance of being prepared when they come so that we're not blindsided. And I think one of the analogies I used in scripture was, or in the book was from when I played uh, football and, you know, you get tackled. And if you're prepared for it, it, it's still uncomfortable, but there's a far different kind of tackle when you're blindsided, when you don't see it coming. And I think for many people, that's the problem with trials is we don't see them coming. And so we're not prepared and then they blindside us and it can be fairly devastating. Kind of the language that Jesus uses in Matthew 7 about the um, house that's built on the sand, the storms come and then end up uh, you know, knocking it down. It's un uh, not because it's not built on the rock. And so beginning with that discussion of building and in uh, Asa's day, he was a king over Judah and he strengthened his kingdom during times of peace. And I think it makes a great picture or, or example of what we should do with our lives. I know people can look at Kings or they can look at Chronicles and wonder, well, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with my life? I'm not the king of the kingdom, and I'm not going to be attacked by some other nation. And so what can I learn from, you know, looking at Asa or Hezekiah or some, some other king? <clears throat> but First Corinthians 10 and Romans 15, they both tell us that the Old Testament is written for our instruction and our admonishment and, you know, as an example to us. And so I think it's First Corinthians 10.5 and Romans 15.4, or First Corinthians 10.6. And so we know that. We know the Old Testament is written with this instruction for us and with examples for us. And so then the question becomes, when we look at these accounts, how do they instruct us? What, what is the example that we're supposed to learn from these verses that we're reading? And so with Asa, he had a lot of peace in his kingdom. He wasn't attacked by any nations, and he used that time of peace and rest to build and strengthen. And I think that's repeated a number of times in the verses, and it's a good picture of what we should do in our lives. We should strengthen the kingdom, uh, our own kingdom, you know, our family, our marriage, our homes <clears throat> for the trials that come. And this isn't in the book, but we had a young mother in our church that was diagnosed with stage four cancer, and she's very healthy. She's fit. She had no, no idea that she was, um, you know, even, even ill. She just went to the hospital thinking that she was um, constipated and learned that she had this huge tumor that was um, blocking up her organs. And then, but the thing is, she was prepared. She had been 
faithful in God's word. She'd been strengthening her life. And so then when that trial came, she just handled it unbelievably well. I mean, I just felt privileged to be her pastor and watch her example, see the way that she turned to the Lord during that time. And, you know, she was going through chemo and radiation. It was very, or at least maybe not radiation, but at least chemo. I know it was really difficult for her, but she, she had strengthened her kingdom, you might say. Um, and so then talking about that need to be prepared, strengthening, talking about the maturity, the trials bring, and then, and I'm, I'm kind of talking a lot. So do you want, I don't know if you can feel free to interrupt me anytime or anyone else. Okay, Dorothy. <laughs> well, I would like this to say, um, I enjoyed the part about the preparation because it is so logical. You know, up here in New England, at least when I grew up, we prepared for bad weather. You know, we Mm. believed we should have a five-month pantry because stuff happens, you know. Mm. Uh So that really struck a nerve with me because, it's you know, like I said, it's the way we were raised. And to trans that to spiritual preparation for trials because we know they're coming it just made Mm -hmm. complete sense to me and it was one of those aha moments it's like well of course you should prepare for trials because we're going to have them and it's not as if God puts trials on us you know it's just one of those things it's a fact of life Mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah, part of living in a fallen world. We sin came into the world, then uh with sin, the all of creation is fallen and, and Romans eight talks about it moaning underneath the bondage to sin and that's the world we live in. So trials are an inevitable reality. And I think we'd all you were talking about preparation and I think we can probably all think of someone that we've seen that looked like a pretty solid Christian and then a trial hit them and it became evident, wow, they, they weren't really prepared for this. And then they're, they're devastated by that. You know, maybe that's when people leave the church or you, you kind of see someone at church and then you don't see them and you say, well, what happened to so-and-so? Where's he or where's she or where's their family? You find out they started going through a trial and then they turned from the Lord because they weren't prepared for it. They got angry and then maybe they took it out on God or, which is kind of one of the other main aspects of trials and one of the points I tried to make in the book that trials also test our faith, uh, reveal the sincerity of it, and reveal the genuineness of it, as Peter says. And, uh, and that's what James says. I mean, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith. And so trials test our faith and reveal whether it's genuine or not, because I think anyone can you know, look like they love God, sing songs in church, um, praise God when things are going well and when their kids are doing well or their marriage is doing well or their job is going well, then we're all, you know, really in love with God and thankful for him. But when the trials hit, that's when our faith is tested and it's revealed that we're, um, you know, Christians and our faith is sincere or whether our faith was insincere and a few places in scripture teach that like the parable of the sower you have the seed that lands on the ground and it kind of shoots up but then the sun scorches it and it uh, doesn't last and 
Jesus says that that's because of the trials and tribulations of life that came. And, you know, you see people like that, they come to church and are excited and they, you're kind of thinking, well, let's just see where you're at in a month from now or a year from now or five years from now, because I've been a pastor 12 years now and the number of people that come to church and seem really excited. Um, but then it's in the back of your mind, you're always thinking, well, how long is this going to last? We're looking for people whose faith endures and trials are pretty much that litmus test that reveal whether, whether faith is sincere or not, whether it's going to, and that's what Peter says about uh, tests it, purifies it, refines it like gold and reveals whether it's sincere or whether it's, I guess, like, you know, <laughs> fool's gold, you might say. Yeah, that's a good point, fool's gold. Um, yeah, um, oh, I just had a thought. Where'd it go? Let me chase it. Oh, sorry, me. you should interrupt um, me, Dorothy. I feel like I could keep talking, and so if you interrupt me, I'll <laughs> then you won't forget your thoughts. Well, I could keep listening, but there are certain things that I wanted to bring out, audience. Okay. You know, it really bothers me in my walk when I see brothers and sisters in the Lord blame God and get angry and bitter. It's, I think it's, it's called a root of bitterness, you know, mm-hmm. and we are all affected by other people's free will choices. So mm-hmm. it's so many factors in this equation. I mean, and, and if life was all gun drops and lollipops, what would we have to grow on? Sugar isn't a good nutritional thing, you know? So <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing that I'll see sometimes, oh, I, you're asking me about kind of an overview. And I had a chapter distinguishing between trials and discipline. Because mm-hmm. That's an important there's, there's point to make two ways or two reasons we can suffer. You can suffer because of what you've done wrong. And that is not a trial. That's discipline. Or you can suffer because you live in a fallen world and trials are part of life and you didn't do anything wrong. And I think it's really important to distinguish between those two because I've seen people make the wrong distinction in both cases. So for example, let's say there was a mother who wrote me one time I've never met her. I don't, I don't know who she is, but she just sent me an email and she was really struggling. She lost a child and she was blaming herself and she hadn't done anything to contribute to this miscarriage. She wasn't smoking or drinking. And, and she thought she wondered. And when she said, you know, what have I done? Why is God punishing me? What's he punishing me for? She was thinking that she was being disciplined. So in other words, she thought she had sinned. She thought that she brought this, this suffering into her life through her sin, which would mean it was discipline. But she was experiencing a trial. You know, the loss of that child wasn't, I mean, a woman can't make herself pregnant. She can't, um, you know, keep a pregnancy going, no matter how much she might try. My wife has had a couple of miscarriages. It was, you know, emotionally terrible for her. And I know other women who have experienced miscarriages, especially later, in the pregnancy and they'd give a, you know, give their right arm for that child to stay growing and living. And so it was no fault of their own that they lost that child. And so that woman, she was experiencing a trial, but she thought it was discipline. And I thought that was really tragic because she already felt bad enough about losing the child. And then she's beating herself up even more 
thinking it's her fault. But then the other side or the other part of the equation is you have an individual who is suffering and it is their fault. It's because of their sin. They're being disciplined. They have God is trying to bring them to repentance, but they sit back and they don't see their fault. They don't know why this is happening. They don't see their sin. And they say something like, oh, why is this happening to me? You know, why am I always so unlucky? And why do bad things keep happening to me? And it's really a result of their choices, their sin, selfishness. And if you could be honest with them, you would tell them that. You'd say, well, you're, you're asking why you're suffering. And it's because you're living apart from God and he's disciplining you as Hebrews um, 12 talks about and you need to repent but then they, if they don't see that sin and they don't understand that that's why they're suffering then they're doomed to not learn what God wants them to learn and they're doomed to repeat that same that same um, sin or error I should say sin not error excuse me and so yeah I thought that was an important thing to distinguish in um, you know like Job I mean that was the big struggle that Job had was why is this happening? What have I done wrong? And why is God so angry at me? And Job's friends were saying, well, you must be, they thought that suffering was a result of sin. And so the main argument of Job's friends was people suffer. God is good. In their mind, they thought a good God would not let a good person suffer. And so they said, well, if you're suffering, you must be bad. And because you're suffering so bad, you must be a really bad person. Probably one of the worst people to ever live. And so they were trying to convince Job that his suffering was a result of a sin, and it wasn't. We, they, didn't, they couldn't see behind the curtain. They didn't know that there had been this exchange between God and the devil about Job, and that God actually said that Job was one of the most righteous men to ever live. So it was actually the opposite of what his friends were saying. His friends were saying, you're suffering because you're so evil, but God said, have you seen my servant Job, one of the most righteous men you know, on the face of the earth, and there's nobody like him, blameless and upright, and... So it's actually the opposite, but Job didn't know that. And so we just, he's a good example of demonstrating that we suffer and it's not. Right. And, and I like David's response in the Psalms where he asks father to examine his heart, you know, and if there's something amiss Mm -hmm. to help him straighten it out. I think that's got to be our first reaction to, to really understand what's going on because otherwise we will we will blame ourselves. I know in, in miscarriage, you know, doctors aren't very helpful either. You ask a doctor why and they, oh, these things happen. And you're going, well, that's uh-huh. no answer. And right. So, yeah, it's just miscarriages are horrible. That's why I can't imagine how women cope with getting abortions because you're still setting up the same emotional, uh, hormonal imbalance when you do that. I mean, you're pregnant, yeah. got all the hormones going, and then you're not pregnant, and mm-hmm. the hormones stop, and you go crazy. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we definitely need to ask Father to examine our hearts so we can know, because that's part of the maturation process to, you know, to purify the heart towards Father, to be in alignment with mm-hmm. his word. So. What's that? We we have not because we ask not. Uh, scriptures might pertain somewhat in there, you know. If mm-hmm. we if we're just assuming we're okay all the time, that's not good. So mm-hmm. definitely yeah, so have to we, figure out. We feel like 
my or my wife and I, Katie and I, we feel like we. I'm not. I'm not. I feel. I almost feel a little um, ashamed to share this because I don't put it on par with people losing children and having cancer or anything like that. And but we've been going through a difficulty, a discouraging season recently. Things were going really well with our family and our church and everything, and then, and then just the last few weeks, it seems like a couple situations took place that were very discouraging. And my my tendency is to say, well, I don't cause this. I don't think that I've sinned. I don't think that I'm being disciplined. I think that this is just a trial we're going through. But I wrote the elders about it because they were familiar with the kind of discouragement I was going through. And I told them that I was praying that God would reveal to me whether this is a trial or whether this is discipline. And I asked them as well. I said I would covet your prayers that you would help God make clear to me whether I'm being disciplined, whether there's some sin that I need to repent of and get out of my life, or whether this is just one of the trials or discouraging seasons associated with ministry or pastoring. And so, I mean, on the outside, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, well, I don't, I don't think there's some blatant sin. I mean, there's been other times where I thought, okay, I'm suffering. I sinned, you know, I mistreated my wife or I've been selfish in some way. And God is chastising me because he loves me. And, but in this situation, I, I haven't thought, well, I did this, and, but I still want to make sure that, you know, I could be wrong. So I've, I've been praying, Lord, help me to see if, what, if I have sinned and I need to repent and make that clear to me and ask the elders to pray for that too, because I don't want a mistake trials um, for discipline. Yeah, there, there, there is a big difference. Um, and it can get kind of muddy trying to, I mean, I can remember times when I was disciplined that I knew I was being disciplined because he told me why, you know? So Mm -hmm. it was one of those, is that what I asked you to do? You know, and that Mm -hmm. was enough, boy, my goodness. And then there are other times when it's just um, trials. And I'm going through a lot of physical trials, and I have been since 93. Oh, wow, okay. And I'm learning. Yeah, I'm learning about nutrition and uh, doctor-prescribed drugs are not all that in a bag of chips. They make you sicker a lot of times. So I'm learning that, you know, Father can reach down and give you a supernatural healing, but if you turn around the next day and put that poison in your body, guess what happens to that healing, you know? So that's what I've been working on lately, and and I'm doing a lot better, you know. I I remember when I first started with the back problem, Father told me, my grace is sufficient for you, and I did not respond well, you know, because I I just wanted the pain to go, and I didn't, you know, grace, does grace have to do with all this pain, you know? So, yeah, that's a lesson, but it's a trial, so... Mm-hmm. And everybody goes through trials. I've been hearing a lot of people lately in the body going through trials right now, and I think I may be wrong. Um, I think we're coming up on the end of the end of days. You know, not like tomorrow, 
but not 25 years from now either. And I think we're in a especially um, severe um, refining process Mm. in the body right now. Because there's so much work that needs to be done, and we need to be ready and refined to do it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you mean in the – you don't mean globally, then you mean more in the American church? In the American church, a lot. I know globally there's a lot of stuff going on, but I don't think – I think their churches – I don't know how to put this. They don't put up with a lot of nonsense in their churches because they're getting persecuted just because they're saying they're Christians, you know? Yeah, that's kind of what so I think. They don't have it was, easy like we do. <clears throat> yeah, that's what I was um, thinking when you were talking about persecution. I thought, well, if that happened in the, in the church in the United States, it would accomplish what we're talking about, revealing faith and the sincerity of it or insincerity of it. Because there's so little cost in our country associated with calling yourself a Christian. <clears throat> I mean, the the cost is starting to increase. There's starting to be some resistance. But, I mean, even when Christians in the United States talk about being persecuted, I don't think that, I mean, it pales in comparison to what Christians go through in other countries where it's, you know, practically a death sentence to be baptized or you're going to be arrested if you if anyone finds out you're a Christian. And so because it's so easy for people to be Christians in our country, it's very hard to determine whether your commitment to Christ is genuine or not. And so if the heat was ratcheted up in our country and the, you know, the refining fire started taking place, then that's going to reveal pretty quickly the sincerity of, of people's faith. And so I don't think it would be a bad thing. I think that, the number of people in churches will probably decrease, but I think it'll make, it'll really strengthen some number of believers. It'll strengthen the true believers and the churches that are strength are preaching the word. And it will um, have a very strong refining effect just on the church in our country. And so some of the things we see, like when you were saying, about abortion and women murdering our babies. And then and that what we've seen with New York where they could essentially murder babies right up until the moment they're born. There's not many wickeder sins than that. And it's hard to think that God would allow our, our country to go unpunished from that sort of heinousness. And, but anyway, my point is when, when a nation can reach that sort of wickedness, then it's, not long before Christians start experiencing some amount of persecution, at least if they're preaching the truth, because it'll start to infringe on people's wickedness, and that's when they're going to flare up. So basically, I mean, my point is, evil people aren't going to care about people who call themselves Christians unless those Christians take a stand against some of the evil things that are happening. And at that point, then there's going to be some backlash and conflict. And so then it will have that um, refining effect, which can be a very, very positive thing. I think in Second Thessalonians, I think it's chapter one, when Paul says that they're suffering terribly and it's done wonders for their maturity and their love and their growth as a church. 
So yeah, it's not a, we don't like to hear it, but trials do have that very, they are discussed so positively in God's word, really from beginning to end. There's no getting around the positive way that trials are presented. And there's no shortage of Job's type of friends either, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty instructive if, you know, people are, if people are suffering in your circle of influence that you don't go and preach to them and lecture to them about what they're going through and tell them. Kind of Job's friends, they got it right and they got it wrong. They have such a bad reputation because of the lecturing because it takes up most of the book, and that's what you think of when you think of Job's friends. You think of these guys that sit back and lecture you when you're suffering. But there's a real small window in the beginning of the book that reveals when they got it right. It says that they went there and they sat there for seven days, and nobody said a word because they saw how great a suffering was. And that's a good example of what of what we should do with people who are suffering: go and be with them, not try to lecture them or preach to them. And so, I mean, just not in that discussion of trials and how to how to handle them, um, not just in our lives, but in other people's lives, one of the best things to do is just go and be with people. And I get asked somewhere, I don't know if it's one of the most common questions I get asked, but I've been asked, well, this person is suffering. I don't know what to say. How do I handle it? They're going through something terrible. And they, I don't, I, when I run into them, you know, I don't, I don't know how I can help them. And I'd say, well, probably just being there with them. Is about the best thing you can do. And there's a nice quote, if you can't improve on silence, don't. If you can't improve on <laughs> silence, don't. And so Yeah, that's good. You, yeah. And so as a, I think people would be surprised how little preaching you do when people are suffering. Generally if the stuff the worse the suffering, the quieter you want to be. Sometimes it's hard to be quiet when they're suffering, and you can see why, though. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we don't always make the best choices. Mm-hmm. I think another excellent point you make, and a lot of people misunderstand the emotions. Um, We can get so caught up in our emotions. I mean, that's why they call it teenage angst, right? Because it's like everything is life or death to the teenager, you know. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people live their entire lives like that. And they allow others to manipulate their emotions and then the enemy manipulates our emotions when we're going through the trials to try and get us to stand up and fight God and rebel against God. So I really like that. Maybe you could expound on that a little bit. Well, I think when we're suffering, um, because, you know, suffering is an emotional experience, even if it takes place physically, even if you're going through something physically, it affects you emotionally and mentally. And so it's hard to, I mean, I think we just see it like, um, if you picture a married couple, they'll have greater conflict or tension in their marriage if there's suffering. And why is that? Because 
it's emotional and it affects one of them and that ends up affecting the marriage. And so to try to respond well emotionally um, and lean on the promises in God's word versus leaning on how we feel. I think about in, when David kind of preaches to himself and he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? So you actually have David counseling himself. Um, normally, when we listen to ourselves, it's kind of bad counsel, like, woe is me, my, why is my life so hard, I'm, my life's harder than anyone else, and I, I'm so unlucky or unfortunate. And, but the example from Scripture with David in the Psalms is preaching to himself the opposite message of why, why are you cast down and you shouldn't be hoping God is what he says, and so that's the appropriate response with when emotions are going awry to think about the promises in God's word. Because otherwise, if you don't do that, you're really no different than an unbeliever, or you're not handling it. I mean, I'm not going to say you're not different than an unbeliever, because obviously unbelievers are on their way to hell and believers are on their way to heaven. But what I mean is if you aren't trusting the promises in God's word, then you're not handling it any different than an unbeliever is. Because an unbeliever... Um, doesn't have any of those promises. He can't trust that God is going to bring something good from it in his life because he doesn't believe in what God says. He can't trust that God is using it for his good because he doesn't believe in a God that would, would do that. And so at those times, the only way to really keep emotions balanced or in check is to remember what God says in his word and um, use those verses to counsel us and to lean on those uh, promises and even about God's grace being sufficient that you had mentioned earlier, that's obviously a lot easier said than done, but God's word says it. And so that's something that we need to tell ourselves. And, you know, first Corinthians ten thirteen, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. God's able to um, allow you to bear it or endure it or make that way of escape. And so, there's a uh, kind of a synonymous nature but sometimes between trials and temptation. And so we need to remember that if we're going through this, then God is walking through it with us and giving us the grace that we need. But if we tell ourselves otherwise, we say, this is more than I can handle. I can't, I can't um, bear up underneath this. Then it's sort of denying what God's word says. And the, so we have to keep preaching truth to ourselves and scripture to ourselves or else I don't know how else we can keep our emotions from taking over and dominating our, our thoughts and, um, and our actions even. Yeah. I think people who live by their emotions make the worst decisions ever from what I've been able to tell. Um, <laughs> and, and if I don't stop when I start feeling poorly to match the physical, I do have to self-talk myself back into Father's grace and this is what Father said, so this is what you believe. And Mm -hmm. if I try to make a decision when I'm in that emotional hurricane, it, it colors my whole thought process. So... Yeah, well said. And a lot of people think if you control your emotions instead of allowing them to control you, then you're cold and hard. You know, 
Mm. Um, no, um, yeah, I'd, I'd strongly disagree with that. Why? Well, I, I think the world says says the opposite of what God's word says. God's word encourages self-control, patience, um, self-denial, and the world says, you know, you deserve this. You're entitled. Um, the world says if you're, you know, angry, go let it out, go scream and um, punch a wall, whatever you need to do to release that anger. Whereas God's word says the opposite to control it and not let it control you. Um, and so I think the, what, if you're looking, if you're getting that counsel from the world, then it's going to be the opposite of what, what scripture says. It's going to cause you to act on your emotions when you've got so much counsel from scripture, especially I think of Proverbs about not being hasty and, um, that applies in a lot of ways. I mean, if we talk about not being hasty, it applies to decisions, purchases, um, but it also has to do with, I think it can apply to trials, but when you're suffering, you know, don't do something hasty uh, or else you can end up just making a bad decision because it's made on impulse or made emotionally versus prayerfully. Um, the, Another part in the book was about the endurance. I think that one of the difficulties, actually, let me say this, one of the blessings of trials is it allows us to be confident in our um, relationships with the Lord. I think of when Jesus says that many are going to come to me saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things? And then he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Those are really probably the most terrifying verses in scripture in my estimation because they're individuals that thought that they were saved only to find out at the day of judgment that they weren't saved. I mean, that you can tell they're shocked from what they say. They're like, Lord, Lord, you know, they're just surprised. They thought that they were believers on their way to heaven, and then they're told to depart from Christ. And so those are really sobering, terrifying verses. Well, one of the blessings of trials is that you can be convinced that if your faith survives the trial, because it's not really an issue of you surviving the trial. I mean, because we all go through trials and if we're here, if we're alive today, then that means we survive some number of trials. The question is whether your faith survives the trial or not, whether you um, curse God or become bitter toward him. And so one of the blessings of trials, like if someone, here's an example, Dorothy, if someone said to me, why do you think you're saved? I wouldn't say, um, you know, I'm saved by grace through faith. That's how to be saved. If someone said, why do you think you're a Christian? I wouldn't say, because I've repented and put my faith in Christ. That's, that's how to be saved, or that's what you do to be saved. But if someone said, why do you think you're saved? I would say, I've tried to examine my faith. It has survived some number of trials. I haven't cursed God or, or turned from him. And so one of the wonderful blessings of trials is that greater confidence that we can have in our faith and the genuineness of it. Um, And if I would say to anyone, if they said, you know, how do I know if I'm a Christian? How do I know if I'm saved? I would say, well, what, how have you responded during trials? Has your faith survived trials and endured them? Um, I mean, that's what we talk, when we talk about the perseverance of the saints, we draw that from James five about, um, you know, the perseverance of Job or the perseverance of the saints. I think it's James 5.11 that 
that mentions um, Job's endurance. And, you know, that's what it means when we talk about persevering. It means enduring, lasting through trials. It's not about, I, I know we, you know, you read scripture and it's so tremendous to read about David defeating Goliath or, um, you know, Hezekiah having that great victory over the Assyrians when Sennacherib came against them and with Moses parting the Red Sea. And there's all these tremendous accounts that we look at and think, oh boy, that'd be so great to be part of those or have those sorts of victories. But the Christian life for most of us is one of endurance and persevering through the things that we experience. And and that's one of the great blessings of trials is it allows us to have our faith tested and be encouraged that it withstood and that we won't stand before the Lord someday and hear those terrible words depart from me. I never knew you. Yeah, that would be devastating to hear. Um, but yeah, I, I know the high points in our faith, in our walk, strengthen us to get through the trials to a certain point. But when you're in the trial and there is pain, emotional pain, uh, physical pain, and sometimes it's all you can do to just ask Father to hold your hand. Um, I do believe that's where it really gets stronger because he was there for you when you needed him. And and I think that's the biggest lesson in trials is he will be there for us. He's not going to, you know, give us a rose garden without thorns. There's, you know, but he's with you when that thorn pricks you in the thumb, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that is a really important someone who criticized the book, which was totally fine. I, I did not have a problem with um with this criticism, you know, whatsoever. But but his criticism was he thought that that could have been emphasized more. And and I do think it's a really important point to keep in mind that you know, that's the language of Psalm uh twenty three, that when we go through the valley the shadow of death, you know, you're with me and so when we're going through these trials, to remember God is with us through them, and he's not abandoning us or turning from us. And I think it's so important to keep that in mind because it's easy to think the opposite. It's, e- it's very easy to think, well, I'm suffering because God has abandoned me. I'm going through this real difficulty because God has forsaken me. He's, it's kind of like what Job was going through. Like, why are you, why are you so angry with me? Lord? Why, what have I done? And why are you so upset with me? And I want to have an audience with God and ask him, how he could let this happen to me and what have I done that he would be so um, treat me this way. And it's a real temptation for all of us to think that God has abandoned us. Um, But just to keep in mind that it's not a reflection of his displeasure with us or anything along those lines and not to think that he has abandoned us. If that's what you can muster during your trial, you know, father, hold my hand and the father just comfort me through this and, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful prayer. I think sometimes when people are suffering, they're afraid to be candid or transparent with God. They're afraid to pour out their heart to him. But I think that's what we need to do. I mean, that's where we need to turn and not keep it in and be insincere with the Lord. I mean, he knows how we're feeling. response would be to turn to him and to share what we're going through and how we feel and whether maybe we're kind of angry or upset or disappointed or 
whatever those emotions or feelings are, but just to pour them out. I, I, earlier I mentioned with Hezekiah when he went into, um, when the Assyrians attacked, and he goes into the temple and he just pours his heart out to God real transparently and just says, you know, they're going to wipe us out. We can't go anywhere else. It was very vulnerable, open with him. I think about when Moses, right before God showed him his glory, I think it's in Exodus 32 perhaps, but Moses um, had just had it. You know, he couldn't lead the nation of Israel anymore. It was so bad. He asked God to kill him. He was so exhausted and miserable, and he says, Lord, just take my life. And then he has this real intimate exchange with God where Moses says, you know, these are your people. They're not mine. And God got angry and said, I'm going to send you into the promised land, but I'm not going to go with them. And Moses says, well, and that would have been a total devastating trial for Moses to have to lead the Israelites without God. And so Moses says, they're, you know, they're your people. How can you say you're not going with them? And what are the other nations going to say? And he's just, it's a real difficult moment in Moses' life. But what he does is he totally pours his heart out to God and he's real sincere. And then God, you'd almost think, well, maybe this is when God gets angry with him. You know, this is when God wipes out Moses for talking so irreverently to him. But instead, God responds and says, you're my friend. And he puts him in the rock and then has his glory pass. Uh, you know, before him. But the point is, Moses was real sincere during this trial and genuine and transparent, and God, it seemed to bless God. God didn't get anger with him or smite him or anything along these lines. And just a good example, and that's what the Psalms are. I mean, the Psalms, they're very messy at times, filled with all of the um, suffering that the writers were going through as, as they just pulled their heart out, to, heart out to God regarding what was happening. And the, that's written for us. I mean, that's, the Psalms can be a recipe for those difficult seasons of our life and what we should do and how we should demonstrate that, you know, pour out that same sort of um, heartfelt cries to God when we're struggling. Yeah, and we don't have to do it disrespectfully either, you know. <laughs> but one of the yeah. things I've noticed in my life, getting back to emotions again, because they can really mess you up, is that when I am extremely emotional about an issue, I have more difficulty hearing Father's voice. And I don't know if that's Hmm. typical or just me. Hmm. Do you mean, like, kind of elaborate, like, because you're upset or you're not, um, you're not prayerful or what? Because you're upset, I mean, you're still, I'm still prayerful when I'm upset, but if I'm so upset that my emotions are like a runaway train, I mean, the pain is that severe, I have trouble hearing him. I have to go um, I have to go to the Word, of course, but it's like I can hear him. He directs me. He leads me. But when I am overly upset about a situation, usually when I haven't turned it entirely over to him, because you know how sometimes we hold back because we want to have our problems okay. sometimes. Okay. I, yeah, just, I, I, can't, I can't hear what he's trying to tell me. I know he's, <clears throat> excuse me, I know that he's trying to tell me about something, but I can't hear him. I, like okay. I said, I don't know if that's typical or just me. Well, I think as you were saying that, um, I think 
of my children, but I think of how I can be like that too. I guess I'll just use a child as, as an example. When our kids are really emotional or upset, I feel like they're not listening. And you tell them, you know, you've, I want you to calm down or I'll talk to you when you've calmed down. But I'm not going to talk to you right now because you're not going to hear me. And I see a lot of application for us as adults too, that when we're really worked up and emotional and struggling, that we're not, that's not the best position for us to hear from the Lord. And maybe it does take until take some time for us to settle down, have a settled spirit before we can hear from him. Like my children, I have one child in particular that's very emotional and when that happens with him, we both, my wife and I both know we can't talk to him until he has settled down and calmed down some and there's no sense even trying. And we'll tell him that. I'll talk to you. Or we'll talk to you after you've calmed down a little bit. But right now, you're not, you're too emotional. Kind of exactly like you're saying, Dorothy. And so the same things that happen to us as children can take place as adults. We've seen you know, I've had people come into my office, they've wanted counseling, or maybe there's been marriage counseling, and they are so emotional you can't talk to them. You have to wait for them to calm down, and I think I've done that. Same thing in my life before where I've been so upset. Um, I wasn't listening very well. Katie has told me that. You're, she'll say, you know, you're interrupting. You're, And so I think all these things that – I guess my point is I see how all this can happen physically – relationally um, with the earthly relationships and I see how that could happen spiritually you know that until we have a settled spirit and we're determined to hear from the Lord then yeah we might not might not really hear from um, God during those really troubled times when we're the ones doing all the talking and really angry and so forth if that's if I'm understanding what you're saying yeah it's it's not necessarily anger although I did have a nice about of anger the other day, and I said, where did that come from? So I had to, you know, repent and do all that stuff. But just when, and, it, you know, it does seem to happen around kids. When your kids really, really hurt you. Now, my only biological daughter, grown, all right? And she's away mm-hmm. from the Lord. And things that she does and says hurt you to the core. You know, mm-hmm. and and watching the ones you love go through physical abuse or emotional abuse by a mate is just such an overwhelming situation. It feels like you're drowning in emotion, you know, so you have to, like, swim through it back up to father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. Mm-hmm. Are there yeah. any other um, things about the book you want me to share about? or uh... I'm trying to think. I'm trying to go through in my head. I did take notes, and I didn't bring them up. Like I said, I really liked the preparation. Um, and I liked how you explained um, counting it joy. Um, that makes a big difference in the in the um, figuring out what you're doing. You know, it isn't joyful, mm-hmm. but you can count it up to joy. Let's see, 
Uh, let's see. Okay, one of my notes says uh, trials are unpredictable but not accidents. Yeah, so I think uh, that girl, for example, the young young mother, I mean, she's not a girl. I mean, she's a young lady. She was in her 20s. She felt probably like it was totally unpredictable. You know, she goes to the doctor, sounds some stomach pains, and then finds out she has stage four cancer. And so it's trials look unpredictable to us as though we're just sort of walking along and then we, you know, trip and fall and find ourselves in a trial. And the problem with that or the danger with that is then you just sort of think you're unlucky. You think if I would have just done this instead or done that, then this trial wouldn't have happened. And um, so that unpredictable nature of trials can almost make us feel like we could avoid them. Or we might even, like we were talking about earlier, blame ourselves. if we're the ones that brought the trials into our lives through our actions. But even though they're unpredictable in the sense that we don't know they're coming, we don't know when we're going to get that cancer diagnosis or that job loss or that financial struggle or that unfaithful spouse or whatever it is. We don't, it's unpredictable in that sense. We don't know when um, these things will happen, but they're not accidents in the sense that God is sovereign. He's in control. And whatever we go through has to first pass through the throne of God um, and that's a very comforting thought to me. I know because, for example, people don't want to think, sometimes they don't want to think of God's sovereignty during trials because then there, it leads them to think that God caused it, you know, and God's doing it and he's mad at them. But actually, God's sovereignty is one of the most comforting aspects of trials and one of the things we most need to rely on during trials because if God isn't sovereign, then I think that's the very um, disconcerting, that's the very, um, what would be the best word, that would be the most concerning issue is if God isn't in charge and God is just sort of sitting back saying, oh, you know, why, is this, why did this happen? I wish I could do something about it. Why did this happen to Scott or why did this happen to Dorothy or, um, boy, you know, I just, I sure, sure am sorry and wish that something else would have happened instead. That's just, you know, too bad for him or too bad for her. And so to me, what we have to remember or keep in mind during travels is that God is sovereign. That's one of the only most comforting things. Like when, when we think of Romans 8:28, which is one of people's favorite verses during travels, that God works all things together for good to those who um, love him and are the called according to his purpose. Well, that verse is all about God's sovereignty during trials, or when we think bad things happen. And so the sovereignty of God or his control over the situation is what we really need to hold on to and remember when suffering, because otherwise we just have to think that he's not, you know, in control and that it's spiraling out of outside the throne of God and outside of his sovereignty and he's not really on the throne and then to me that's very alarming. You know, that's a much more concerning thought. And so remembering God is in control and that he has a purpose and a plan behind whatever we're going through, that's the only reason believers can have any comfort during trials. I mean, that's one of the only comforting things during some trials is God's sovereignty. 
Mm. Yeah, and the, and I think that one of the major things to remember when you're in that trial is Father is already, he saw it coming, already been mitigating the circumstances surrounding that trial so that he can bring all of it to good, right? Yeah, well, so um, don't don't yeah, get stuck in thinking him. that. Pardon? Yeah, I think you know trials are a surprise to us, but we need to keep in mind that they're not a surprise to God. You know, we're surprised by them; they take us by surprise. But they didn't surprise God. He wasn't shocked. You know, God didn't sit back and say, "Oh, you know, I I can't believe this happened," or "Or how did this happen?" God doesn't say that. We say that. But we need to remember that God doesn't say that. They're not accidents in the sense that they didn't take God by surprise. They didn't alarm him. Um, You know, and that's one of the only things that can be comforting to us. One of my elders regularly says that. He says, you know, this took us by surprise. We didn't see it coming. And we don't like it, but it didn't take God by surprise. He's not shocked by it. And with the physical stuff, you know, when you think about it, He's already healed us at the cross before we even got sick. Yeah, well said. So I, I think I think we have a tendency to fall into the pity party routine. I think, oh, mm-hmm. woe with me, alas, alas, Father doesn't love me anymore. He let this happen. But mm-hmm. I think it's the exact opposite of that. Um, once you really do it, do the study, do the the work and look at it like you have in this book, it just makes so much more sense. Thanks. And uh, so a lot of times he does not take us out of a situation. He does not remove the situation. He just helps us pull through it. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah. All right, Dorothy. Well, I think my wife has dinner uh, about ready for my family, so <laughs> I better get going. Dinner. That's uh, an important thing. Yeah. So it's good to talk to you as always. I appreciate you and your love for the word and for God and the opportunity to speak with you and any of your listeners. So thank you for having me on as always, and it's been a blessing. Yes, you've definitely been a blessing to us, and we appreciate you coming on and taking the time, you know, to to walk through this with us. So Um, thank you so much. And I'm going to be be trying to get my hands on your wife's book, you know, soon. Oh, yeah. I know we've got it in your other book, too, but. All right. Yeah, I mean, you can have my wife on the show next time. Perhaps she'd probably. She's really articulate. She's looking at me right now while I'm talking about her because I just walked in the house. Um, yeah, Eternally Mind of Mom is a devotional, pretty a shorter read, but I, I think it's got a lot of wonderful counsel from the, the woman who's in the trenches, you know, um, for other women, other mothers. So so thank you very much, Dorothy. I appreciate your support and your, your show and the opportunity to talk to you as always. So God bless you. Thank you. Father bless, Scott. Have a good dinner.